This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right there, 20-sided gamified fans. This is podcast number two from me today. I just had uh, Bobby Sinnott on, and it's a nice little little connection uh, to what we're about to talk about today, just about, you know, kind of getting projects up and running off the ground. Um, welcome. On that note, let's talk a little bit about today's show. So I know that was kind of like a long-winded sort of intro, but one of the guests here pressured me into having a beer before the show. He's in here, which is what, where that pause came from, probably because I haven't eaten today. I totally, completely blame one of the guests. So we're not editing this out, by the way. Um, you might remember, a few, probably a few weeks ago, there was an episode that popped up on the feed in which Titch, White, myself, and Kelly McManus, we put up a part one of a episode or a really series of episodes about getting a wargaming project off of the ground. And in that episode, we talked a lot about where to get miniatures from, how to kind of purchase them, how to use eBay, how to use the miniatures page, how to go to different places in order to really kind of like get your army together. And it was a great episode. And it was, there was a ton of listens on that. And we decided that we were going to do a follow-up to that. And who knows, there might be some even more, even more of those episodes. And... What we're going to focus on today in terms of the folks that I have on, we are going to talk about painting today. And in terms of our guests to talk about that topic, we've got three legends here, all right? 
And I use that term very powerfully. All right, so here we go. Ready? Titch White, the reason why I'm stuttering at this point, you know, in this episode, and I'm sweating a little bit, I completely blame him. Um, no, I, jo- I joke. Uh, really, like, one of my best friends in the entire world, been gaming with him for 30 years, prolific when it comes to painting in particular. Then we've got Corey Ring, Cigar Box Battles. He has been on the show a couple of times already. Again, like kind of a good, good friend within the group. And then look, here's the thing. Even with uh, your host, Jared Fishman, with half a beer in me at one o'clock on a Sunday, you can't really talk about painting wargaming miniatures without a little conversation with Mr. Dave Taylor, Dave, Dave Taylor Miniatures, DaveTaylor.com, really like one of the, I would say, one of the important figures in terms of like Games Workshop because he has been doing, um, you know, back in the day, he basically ran um, all the tournaments and so many different things in Maryland regarding uh, uh, GW. And then he's kind of off on his own now. He's a real fixture at conventions and such. So the most long-winded intro Ever, gentlemen. Hello. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm hey, doing. I, I'm not going to lie. That may have been the shittiest intro I've ever done on the show. <laughs> I I really do sort of blame you for this. That's okay. That's okay. I've oh, taken really? A lot That's of okay. I've taken Titch, a lot this of This is my livelihood. This is my livelihood. I'm just kidding. It's not really my livelihood. It's just for fun. Um, so yeah, guys, it's, it's good to, good to see you guys. Good to hear from you. So in terms of getting this ball rolling in terms of like a good sort of starting question, and again, there's four of us here. Everybody's got to get a little talk time. Why don't we start with the following question? How important when it comes to wargaming, how important is the painting of the miniatures to you? And I want to start with Dave. Dave, how important is the painting aspect of miniature wargaming to you? Uh, for me, it is probably most important. It's the most, well, the second, it's the second most important aspect of um, having a good time with wargaming. Um, most important being the people you play with. But uh, it is incredibly important to me um, being able to put painted miniatures on a table, uh, create a, like a more immersive experience. Um, having uh, being able to have sort of deliver a vision uh, and show your uh, fellow wargamers what that vision is on the table is uh, is quite an important thing to me. Um, as well as the, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's a great sort of Zen exercise to sit down and paint one miniature, two hundred miniatures. That kind of thing. For sure. And what about you, T? Like in terms of the whole hobby, where does where does painting rank for you? I would say painting and modeling is probably well, it's the foundation, right? So it's got to be number one for me as well. Um, I believe that uh you need to put painted miniatures on the table to the best ability you can. Um, everybody has different painting styles, everybody has different painting abilities. But I think you owe it to yourself if you're going to invest in, regardless of the manufacturer or the scope and scale, you need to do the best you can with what you have. And hopefully we can cover some topics here that help you make good choices to get 
a great end result. And the product you put on the table and the people you play with, as Dave said, is really what it's all about. Um, and I believe that it's not just the, the rank and file troops, but the terrain, the accessories, the vignettes and all that stuff that makes a game complete. So I spend an hour and a half to two hours a night, every night I'm in town painting uh, on one or more projects. So to me, it's, it's probably what I do best. Um, and then I roll dice and taunt people. So those, <laughs> those are my, I guess my three strongest aspects to the hobby. Yeah. That was a great answer, by the way. Corey, I don't want you to feel left out, my friend. Well, first oh. off, by the way, I haven't talked to you in a while. How are you? I'm doing good. Just busy, busy with work. But, um, you know, yeah. uh, which segues into my painting, right? So, yeah, uh, do it. You know, spent my jobs fairly um, time consuming. So, you know, I, I'd say my paint time somewhat limited. And one thing I do want to talk about painting, though, and, and Titch, and I think probably everybody on this call, but but if yeah, I think having a permanent painting area is really key, right, to being successful, where you can just come home from work, sit down, and start painting. I have I have some friends, and you know, just setting up the painting area is, is a is is an hour, you know, of prep time, right? You know, it's a they they set it up on the kitchen table or whatever, so there's a setup breakdown. But I think having a place to just sit down and and literally turn on the light and pick up the brush and start, I, I'm like Titch. I tried to log 30 minutes, maybe an hour every day painting. You know, I first, um, you know, I, so I'm not really an artist. So that's the thing. So I, I'm not, I, I'm not, don't consider myself an artist. I think most gamers are that way. I think it's, it's that 10, 80, 10 rule, right? Where they're 10% of the people, like we've got a guy here in Atlanta, Peter Zellner, he's, he's an artist. I mean, he paints miniatures, but, um, uh, but also on the side, he does this fantastic, just, you know, art paintings and oil on canvas, et cetera, et cetera. But, and then there's the 80% of us that I think are just wargaming standard. And then there's 10% that, like Titch, no matter how hard they try, they're never going to get, you know, do very well with it. Um, Titch, I'm, I'm just kidding with you. But, uh, you know, uh, I think I started with um, D&D figures back probably in the 70s or early 80s with testers. And they're just awful. I saved them. Right. And I use them kind of like inspiration. And, uh, you know, I could dip them and redo them, but I, I like them. They have a certain charm of their own. Grindir hobbits and and dwarves. And they're they're really cool. Um and then I moved into trying to, you know, 15 millimeter wargaming where the goal was to create, you know, hey, we need 200 Bavarians by next Saturday, you know, was kind of to crank them out. <laughs> and then I went into a more of a detailed mode. So if you want to see my best painting, actually, or what I think is by this painting, I did most of the miniatures in John Hill and Osprey's Across a Deadly Field. Um, and there, there are some miniatures in there where I really took my time and, and, and did a good job on them. But now, now I've shifted back to, hey, I need 30 you know, 60, 80, 100, you know, French, Prussians, you know, Confederates or whatever by in two weeks. So now I've turned uh, into more of a, a mass produce. They look good, I think, from a tabletop, you know, two feet away, but more of a how can I crank these out and make them look good quickly? Um, but painting, I'd say right now for me, it's right there with kind of the research and real uh, and rules reading. So that's what I love to do. I love to do a lot of research on periods. I love to get rules, collect rules. If I'm at a convention, I'm digging through boxes, trying to find old rules, right? Just to take them home, collect them, and read them. Um, I think it's kind of fun just to see the evolution uh, of the hobby and the different rules. But um, painting's a way for me to relax. Uh, I'll, I'll usually get a YouTube video going or some music, and it just kind of puts me in this transcendental kind of, you know, trance where I'm just cranking out miniatures, right? And it's kind of a, a way to de-stress. De I feel like you're the hippie of our group right now. Like, by far. Like, that, like just that answer in general. Like, as I can kind of imagine you going to your Zen place 
you know, at the oh. end of the a long day, you know. That may be, Jared. <laughs> so, first off, these are phenomenal answers, right? And again, I really, it was funny. I was saying this to a, one of my guests from earlier today. Um, I really hope this is going to be helpful to people. And I, th- I think that it will, right? Because there's in, inevitably there's somebody listening to this podcast out there in which they have never painted a miniature before. So I think this is going to be really, really, really great. So, so far, you know, just thinking about all of your answers. So we have a sense of how important painting is to you. And I mean, again, it sounds it sounds like it is. It sounds like what your miniatures look like on the table matters. And I guess if if you've ever been to a con, and all obviously the four of us have, you know, you want striking miniatures on that table, right? You want to be able to draw people. I mean, here's a question. I'll throw it out there. I don't know who wants to answer it, but... I mean, has the opposite ever happened? I mean, I feel like we can we can talk about this. I mean, have you ever been at a con where it's like the opposite has happened, where somebody has just thrown miniatures on a table and it's like you don't want to be anywhere near that table, regardless of how you know uh, how much time you know somebody put into it? Has that happened? I believe it. Honest, yeah. I'll be, I'll be honest. I, I've sat down and it's like, what am I looking at? And you know, it's, it's, you want to say to the guy, you want to shake him and say, take a little pride. Right. You know, but what makes me insane is, uh, and you see it with tournament gamers more than you see it with anything else. And Dave may have some, some points on this, having run a lot of tournaments. Uh, you're getting tournament time, new units come out, you've managed to glue it together. Maybe you've not painted it at all, or maybe you've only given it a base coat um, and they hit the table. I I think that I don't know it's disrespectful to the hobby maybe yeah um, and you should at least put something on there to give them a uniformity or fit in with your overall appeal. Um, I will not put unpainted miniatures or quote unquote poorly painted miniatures on the table even if we we talked about it in the last podcast buying off ebay if i get something off ebay and they they had good photographs but it's lacking something ink it touch it up rebase it give it a look and a feel not just the painted figure itself but the overall presentation you know um i've never walked away from a game that i've signed up for because the miniatures were poorly painted or the presentation was lackluster because lots of times the game ended up being fun because of who you played with rolling the dice, pushing the troops. But I have been invited to games and I'm kind of like, you know, you know, masking tape roads, you know, poorly cut felt trees, you know, things like that. It's just kind of like, you know, I've got two and a half hours at this con left. I'm, I'm going to go jump into something else. Right. Dave, where do you stand on this? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, the way that I usually I almost always approach it uh, is very much in that uh, the I will I want to put painted miniatures on the table and I want to do them to my best ability. Uh, the first question was how important is painting to each of us? Right. We've, we've all said it's very important to us. Um, there are a lot of people out uh, in the wargaming land who painting is not at all important for them. Uh, there are different things that are that become important. Uh, that are more important for them the uh the the rule systems the the period the um setting they're different things so different people are going to approach it differently and 
over the years, I've, I've learned to not impose my personal feelings or my personal preferences on their preferences. Um, however, I am talking about convention gaming. I'm much more likely to step away from the table if it's not, if it doesn't feel like somebody's put their, they're all into the entire presentation. Um, so yeah. I, and I yeah. think Dave, not to cut you off, but you know, here's the other thing too. Like, there is a distinction. It's one thing to like be in your basement, right? I mean, again, I, I don't want to like pass judgment on any of you guys, but I mean, we usually typically have somewhere to play. And it's like, if you got a friend coming over or something, and I don't know, I personally wouldn't do this because my father raised me the right way. It is a sin. You don't put, yeah, shout out to Bert Fishman out there. Like, you don't, you don't put an unpainted figure on the table. Like, that's just not something that you do, right? But let's just say. Yep. When Titch, you retire and you buy like the house next door, God forbid, and you're coming over. Okay, it's like if if I don't have the best looking table out, maybe we're trying something out. But it's a pretty public thing, though. Like you're gonna go and run a convention game where you want people to kind kind of come up to your table. You want it to look good, and I, 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 me personally, like I think that's important. You know, Corey, what about you? You haven't you haven't got a chance to weigh in on this. Yeah. So I mean, what do you think? Personally, I'm really big with the aesthetic of miniature gaming, right? I, I, I like a beautiful tabletop. I mean, Cigar Box Battle kind of grew out of that, right? Um, where, you know, you could, instead of just throwing a, your, your mom's, um, you know, tablecloth on a table, you could put something down with a, with, with a little more texture or design to it. Um, you know, I, I'm going to give 100%, right? But then kind of to what Dave's saying, I think it's a hobby. I think people want to have fun. I've got a lot of friends... The miniature, the, the aesthetic, the look of it really isn't the most important thing to them. They, they want to play the game. They want to be with friends. They want to, um, you know, uh, they're really just more interested in rolling dice and, and having a fun uh, game and tactical scenario. They're not in the modeling aspect at all. The, the hobby, there's a lot of aspects of the hobby, right? Modeling's one of them and painting miniatures, but it's not the most important to everybody. Also, I'd say everybody has to start somewhere. So, you know, I think we need to be careful or at least... You know, uh, especially with younger, with the younger generation, with people that are just getting into the hobby, um, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. So, uh, you know, you're, you're, when you see these tables, you might see a lot of different experience levels um, in years in the hobby. Um, you know, I think this is a conversation that the board gamers have about us, the miniatures guys, right? <laughs> you know, they, yeah. They don't, they, they just want to get to Hex Encounter and, 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 and enjoy the tactics, right? So, uh, you know, I, 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 a lot of my friends are, 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 you know, Avalon Hill, you know, Hex Encounter guys, and they just don't get it at all. Why, why take the time? Why paint the minis? Why do any of that when you can just open up a box and start playing relatively quickly? And I think that's the, really the, uh, the, the biggest difference is most of us have a really strong aesthetic for the way the, the battle's going to look or the, the period's going to look, and, the, and we really enjoy painting miniatures, um, you know. So right. that, that's, my, yeah. that's kind of my, my viewpoint on it. Yeah, no, and, and you're right, right? If you think about a game, I don't know, off the top of my head, like uh, a squad leader or advanced squad leader. I mean, look, you know, there's so much overlap between that and Johnny Reb or Empire or whatever game you sort of want to talk about, right? Um, but yeah, for us, the miniatures make it, right? For us, it's like you want to be able to see that table from across the room and really want to kind of gravitate over there. And here's the thing. I want to make a quick transition, right? Because look, if there was ever a time to be alive, right? If you want to become a stronger painter or if you don't know what you're doing, right? And I'm going to make a transition to Dave for a second. There are so many resources out there, right? Because Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. 
But whether you're talking about some of the books that you put out or some of the materials you put out, like, correct me if I'm wrong, no. you have some stuff out there about painting, correct? That's correct, yeah. Right, which is the silliest question in the entire world, but <laughs> go for it. I mean, like, it, so again, let's say there's somebody listening out there that is overwhelmed by this conversation, meaning um, the idea of, of maybe they bought their miniatures, but the idea of setting aside some time to sit down and paint is just so overwhelming to them. How do you help with that process, like in terms of your resources? Right. Um, I would say that, uh, that the stuff out there is I, most of my, I would say my resources are typically aimed at people who have been painting for a bit. Right. Um, so that point of view, uh, it's about helping people go from, I've painted a few minis, I've painted a couple of squads, a couple of units, regiments, whatever. Um, but I want to, I, I find it a chore, I find it tough. Right. Uh, so a lot of the, the stuff that I personally talk about is, um, is things like making a habit of your painting. Right. Uh, both Sitch and Corey were talking about that. Try and get in half an hour, an hour, two hours, whatever you can spare on a regular basis. Um, so that, um, I always go back to, there's a, a line in, uh, um, the 1984 David Lynch Dune. Where um, uh, was saying Paul Atreides is saying like he's I'm not in the mood for fighting. Yeah, you know, like mood is a thing for good cattle or love play kind of stuff. And it's like okay, for me, painting is not about the mood. People talk about not being motivated or not having being inspired to paint. That's okay, but there's a lot of painting that is mechanical. Um, if you're painting a regiment of guys painting fifty boots, that's you, it doesn't matter how inspired you are. It's still going to be boring as hell. This is very true. Oh, my God. We've all been there. You know, <laughs> Dave, I should totally add you, even though I don't know. I don't know if I want to subject you to it, but the little <laughs> text thread that Corey and Titch and I have about a lot of these topics. Yeah, you're right, dude. It's like there is, to go back to Corey's point, there is kind of like a Zen thing sometimes where you just have to, it's like you've got to paint 700 horses. Yeah. You kind of just got to do it, right? You got to get into it. And I, I don't know, T or Corey, I, I don't know if you want to jump in on on, on, on that thought. or Because again, like, we talk about painting, but we've been in the game for so long. I, I don't know, like, if you need a resource, where do you guys go? I know well, it's a weird question. You know, what, when I started, it was hard. You had to look at Friends miniature, right? Or you had to go to maybe the the Sword of the Phoenix here in Atlanta and look at maybe some things. If you got lucky, they'd have some something in the display case, right? Um, well, you know, or, but nowadays, I think with YouTube, there's so many great resources out there. Um, you know, a quick Google search, uh, you know, and, and, and these new techniques, you know, Titch and I have been talking about slap chop a lot, you know, a lot. And um, there, there's always new techniques and washes and, you know, contrast paints. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Game Workshop contrast paints. I mean, they uh, I was doing something like that before. I was just kind of watering, thinning down acrylic paint. But, you know, right. they really there's so many new techniques and ways to learn and, and you know, um, just so much great eye candy out there, right. From, yeah. you know, on the internet that I, I think it's, it's definitely the golden age of, if you want to learn how to paint, um, I mean, there's step-by-step -step tutorials. Um, you want to hear something kind of funny. I feel like in a really weird way, I'm the odd man out here, <laughs> like in a, in a very strange way. Cause you know, what's funny, even though I don't know, I don't want to age anybody. Right. But Titch referred to me as the young guy. You know what's really funny? I have like six or seven contrast paints from GW down in my basement. And there's just something that is just, 
in my way of opening them, probably because it's new. Do you know what I mean? Because I have a way that I do it. And it's like, I'm almost like terrified to like pop the cap. I know how terrible that sounds. Like I'm supposed to be like the, the open one here, like the teacher, like embrace new things, like all that. And I'm the asshole where it's like, nah, I'm not going to open that. You know, T, you've been waiting so patiently. Well, where I, do I, you stand on this? I, I, well, I've been painting for almost 50 years and I started with painting, uh, due to how I got introduced to the hobby. But I just bought a book from Caliber Books on 30 Years of War and ECW figures. I, I probably am one of the last people to need a painting guide book, but I bought it just because maybe I picked something up. You know, when, when I look at my paints and, you know, I look at what I have, I kind of did a quick analysis i sent you a photo of my painting table you might want to put on the instagram post yeah but i have army painter ak paints turbo dork multiple kinds of vallejo two thin coats games workshop base and contrast reaper p3 scale 75 pro acrylic i choose paints based on the color that i'm looking for in the research whether i do the three-layer system whether i do a base coat and use contrast as a wash if i use contrast over white i uh, use contrast over gray slap chop for mulberry and french because you get a lot of you very quickly get a white uniform with some color and and, and shade in it um i think that you know when you do the research as Corey said you know we started with the osprey books and then uh war games illustrated came out in 1988 and all of a sudden there was this, this, you know, all this information, Mark Allen was putting uniform guides in. And I mean, it just sort of kind of started to steamroll. And now some of those older articles, which still have a lot of value, have been reprinted in books by Healing and Company. So I, I think that, you know, start with an Osprey, go to Pinterest. Pinterest had hundreds of prints from historical books that I used for 30 Years War uh, figures. You know, Google, you can Google 28 millimeter Napoleonics and get unit after unit after unit of various qualities of painting. And you can say, okay, that's a unit I was looking for. Now I have the uniform color or, wow, I really want to aspire to do that. And then there's so many different methods to get you there. I mean, I remember doing horses with, uh, you know, uh, oil paints and then wiping them down. Now I use solid color inexpensive craft paints for the base coat and then I hit them with contrast paints and then I pick out all the details so there's so many methods out there you you have to do a little bit of research um well let's talk about that actually because I that was going to be my next question right because again we've got a lot of experience in this room me being probably the person at the bottom of the totem pole right for a number of different reasons but this is what I'm curious about because it is easy to get overwhelmed by this. And this is a dangerous question to ask this group. Because what I want to ask you guys, and maybe maybe we'll start with Dave and then work our way around, right? Here's the question. What's your go-to process? Meaning, when you're painting a miniature, if at its most basic form, Dave, what's your process? What does it start like? How do you kind of get to the finished product? And I know that's a really big question, 
But yeah. if you could simplify it, could you do that for us? Sure. Yeah. I know what kind of question this is, by the way. I'm 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 well aware. It's like, <laughs> yeah, not to not to like inflate your ego, Dave, but it's like you're kind of asking Michelangelo of the gaming world uh, to explain <laughs> how they do things. I get that. I, but, I, I feel like more like the Banksy, but uh, <laughs> um, come on, that's we, not uh, true. Everybody knows uh, who you are. Like, come on. <laughs> but uh, no, it'd be the um, a lot of people. I'll, I'll talk about what you might hear, and then also yeah. the way that I approach it. So um, a lot of people might hear the uh, the concept of painting from the inside out. So start with the things that are closest to the model. So if you're painting a um, like a human soldier in a uniform, start with the the face and the eyes and the, the the flesh, and then you put the shirt on, and then you paint the coat, and then you the belts or the um, weapons, that kind of thing, and starting in that, that central point and working your way out. The idea there being... You're not uh, when you're doing it accurately. You're not painting. Oh, you're only painting what you need to, sort of along the way. So it's a fairly reasonably efficient way of doing it. Um, I go for a what's the largest area of color, or what's the messiest area of color. So if I have something that is going to be dry brushed, the where the end result or the final color is going to be a, a dry brush sort of thing, that's the messiest process. So I will start with that and then work to the next sort of step. At some point along the way, I'll do um, like a correction layer, which is painting everything that's left in black. Um, so I can tidy up any areas where I've, I've um, gone over onto something. Um, and then usually, typically, I'll finish with um, my metallics um, just because uh, if I've got a large model I'm going to be handling a lot, I might want to hit it with a like a matte varnish before I get to my metallics because matte varnish would dull the metallics but it will still protect the miniature um, right. that I'm handling um, and generally for most models that are painted that works for me Now Dave, here's a more specific question right? Yep. And again, I've seen your work so here we go How many different layers of color do you use, for example, on a space marine? Like, meaning when you talk about the big areas of color, let's say you're painting an ultramarine, right? And there's so much of that blue on there. How many different layers do you use? And do you do you specifically buy, like when you buy paint? And I know we haven't got there yet about talking about our favorite paints. I know, Titch, you, you brought up a lot of what you use. But again, like, are you using two or three or four different shades of blue when you paint? Uh, in that sort of situation, I would probably be using two, maybe three, uh, depending on the the quality I wanted to achieve or the the, the amount of time I was sort of assigning myself to the model. Um, I'd probably do a base coat, a highlight, another highlight, and maybe a final edge highlight or something like that. Do you mix uh, your own highlights, Dave? Uh, yeah. So for some of those those the brighter lights. Like I, add I, a little white or whatever. Yeah. A, a yeah. Or a little ivory or um, a little bit of very light gray or something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Titch, what about you? Well, you I, like, and again, I know how big of a question this is, dude. Like, in its most basic form, how do you go about it? Well, I paint production style except for officers or specialty figures. So, it, 
yesterday I primed a couple hundred figures because it was warm enough. But what I do is I take a paint stick, a stir stick, and I put anywhere from three to 10 or 12 models if they're 15 millimeter. And then I start with, I do somewhat from the closest in and out. But then again, if I'm painting something that's a all white uniform, I might, as, as Dave said, cover that largest area first and then pick out the details. But I tend to start with a black undercoat on a paint stick. Um, and then I, if I'm doing cavalry, which is a big portion of what I'm working on right now, I do the horse body first. And then I work my way up underneath the rider and then finish the horse and then the rider from the legs up. So the stuff that's closest to the, uh, to the saddle uh, gets done first, the boots, the pants, and then work my way up from there. Um, but I, I, when you said, you know, I got to paint 700 boots, right? If I've got 12 figures or six figures on a, on a bait, on a stick, I just hit all the shoes and maybe I do five Brown and one light Brown and then wash them all or just highlight them all or dry brush them all. So there's, you know, as much uniformity as there is, there's wear and tear. And I like my figures to be somewhat, somewhat unique uh, figure by figure. Do you use the layered? Do you use a layered approach as well? I use I use a layered approach. I use a highlight approach. I use I use a lot of approaches. Depends on what the miniature itself offers me. You know that Warlord, is a great response, by the way. You know, Warlord <laughs> Games plastics tend to have not as deep a recessed belts or cuffs as say a, a Old Glory or a War Games Foundry or in Front Rank. You know they tend to be very well, very cleanly uh, and crisply cast, but they don't have a ton of fold and a ton of motion in their figures. Um, so for them, I might use a few more highlights to get that motion look of a, of a blouse that's, that's blowing in the wind or the, you know, moving. Um, so, I, you know, I start with that production style. Here's my whole unit. It's all black. Start with the horses, work my way up. You know, if I'm doing uniform troops, start with the base uniform, especially if the pants and the shirts are the same color or or close to the same. And if you start with a light color, you can always paint over it and, and kill it off. But, you know, the challenge with black undercoating is yellow and red. Oh, I know. It's so frustrating. So when it yes. comes to reds, I probably have 20 reds and we'll end up with maybe four different paints to build that red up to where I want, you know, start with a Vallejo Roja, which is almost burgundy and work all the way up to a vermilion or a speed paint red to tie it all together. So, um, but for me, it's, it's speed and accuracy have to come together to give you a great overall look. And, and I sent you some, some pictures of most recently painted things you can share on Instagram or whatever to kind of give a look and maybe one unit has, uh, based on what the figure provided, a slightly different look than the next one over. But as long as I'm pleased with it, and I think my participants and fellow gamers would be pleased with it, I'm happy. Um, so that that's sort of the method I use is that production style. Yeah. And I, I, I developed that in college where I painted for three years for a bunch of older guys um, to pay for school. Yeah. Because it was all Napoleonic's. Um, that I was painting and by the truckload. 
So Corey, I'm going to come to you in one second. I I just I want Dave. I I have a quick question for you before I get to Corey. Um, I struggle too with painting reds and yellows. Dave, yep. do you do you ever prime specifically, knowing that you have to paint a red or yellow, or do you ever put a color on to a spot that's supposed to be red or yellow? Do you ever put a different color on there because because those pigments go on a little bit better? Right. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes, uh, for sure, I'll, uh, particularly painting reds, I might put a, uh, I'll put a brown, might put a brown down first. It might be a, um, I'm not going to say it would be a mid-brown, but it might be a dark brown, like a mahogany or something like that, uh, over a black. Um, and I've also tried to find, uh, <laughs> these fine paints that work well in that sort of sequence, I do a very similar thing, um, to Tish with the, uh, with the reds. Um, I'll end up with that two or three sort of layers along the way. Um, and it really, uh, I, I find, find myself, uh, doing that same approach regardless of which paint lines I'm using. So I'll have that dark red, that, like a burnt red or a, um, that sort of thing all the way up to that bright sort of scarlet kind of look. Uh, for yellows, I try and find, there's a couple of yellows that I found that work well, uh, have like a great pigment coverage, um, which is like this Avalon Sunset from Citadel, uh, which is a fantastic one. And, uh, just picked up one recently called Skulker Yellow from Two Thin Coats. Um, so it's, it's too funny that we keep bringing that company up. I love their paints. The I bought, yes. Oh, they're so great. So again, just for this, purposes of clarity because i sort of just talked over dave there <laughs> two thin coats yeah they are awesome i bought a whole bunch of them yesterday actually at the local game store um it's just they're those those paints are just so smooth like you know again like um i was a little nervous at first because of how they almost seemed a little watery but i guess that's the point right yeah to some extent you know um and yeah it, they the the colors went on beautifully so um, Corey, you have been waiting so patiently. No, it's fascinating to hear. What's your process? Take on this. It's kind of like I was just thinking. This is kind of like a, a, a room full of grandmas and asking them what their banana bit banana <laughs> bread, right? <laughs> I mean, they're all gonna, <laughs> you know, but it's all it's going to come out great in the end. So, uh, mine's pretty similar. I, but, but before I get into mine, I do want to say, you know, as a beginner. There's an old book, and I pull it out from time to time. It's such a great reference. It's a Foundry Miniatures Painting and Modeling Guide by Kevin Dallimore. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it, yeah, if you, you probably have a copy around. So it's just a great reference, especially for beginners. I mean, it tells you how to hold a brush. It tells you how the, there's a one-color method, a two-color method, a three-color, how to work from a black primer, how to work from a white primer. I don't even know if this is still in print, but if, if you're a beginner and you really want to get started, I think – that this book is kind of, it discusses everything we're talking about. But as far as me personally, I like to, I mean, first it's about selecting the miniature I want to paint, right? And I'm kind of old school. I like a, a big clunk of lead, one piece clunk of lead, right? Um, I assembled some Bitrix plastics a while ago, Napoleonics, and man, they were, it was torso and, and bayonets and heads and arms. And, you know, uh, it, it was, it, it was brutal, but, uh, I really like just a simple miniature or maybe something I can snap together, right? Two pieces, something like that. Um, I assemble it, trim it up and I glue it to a base. I don't do, well, I do somewhat assemble line, but I tend to glue them individually to their own little bases, a uh, piece of cardboard that I take off later. 
I like to prime white, but I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll do different things. It just depends kind of what I'm painting. But right now I'm priming white, you know, kind of, um, what you guys were talking about, usually start with the flesh. Um, and then, you know, let's say I'm painting a, a, a civil war federal instrument, you know, start with the flesh, do a dark blue coat over the whole miniature and then dry brush the pants, a lighter blue, dry brush, a little highlight on the, on the, on the jacket. And then I'll go in and pick out the belts and musket and those kind of things and do the metal last. So pretty similar to what you guys are doing. Um, you know, I, I like to try to keep it as simple as, as possible right now. Again, I'm a big fan of, you know, contrast paints or, a lot of companies sell something similar, something along those lines where you, you're, it kind of does some shading and highlighting for you all in one wash. But, um, and then, yeah, base it, uh, you know, flock it and, um, hit it with a little dull coat. And, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of my technique. Corey, I just have to stop you for one second. Did you say you prime in white? You usually. Really? The contrast that is a paint, bold move, dude. The contrast paints really pop on the white. Um, now it depends what I'm painting. Sometimes it might be black, but currently I'm everything's white right now. So it's interesting, right? Because this we're leading to another question I have. Because you know what's really funny? It's almost like this is going to sound super weird, but you know how if you think about who your best friend is, it's always hard to remember. Like when was the first time I talked to that person? Right? It's it's a little hard to remember, even though for me it's like you know, Titch. I remember the first time I met you, right? But I can't remember when I started using washes. I honestly can't. And I figure you guys are, you know, a little older than me, right? So I want to throw this throw this question out to you guys. Do you remember when you first started using washes? And maybe I don't know, Dave, if you wanna if you wanna start. Yeah. Sure thing. Um, I totally remember, actually. Well, I say totally, I, I vaguely remember. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> I uh, I started painting in ninety-one. And uh, as I was sort of going through painting, I, it was it was very much that base coat and then some sort of highlight or dry brush, uh, that sort of thing. Um, I didn't have a lot of people around me that could teach me painting, so a lot of it was sort of making stuff up as I went along. Um, and I'd see some uh, some photos in magazines, and just like, oh, I wonder how they get that kind of sort of definition, and. I think uh, it's probably like 92 or 93 um, Games Workshop released a set of washes, Citadel washes. Um, and I saw something in White Wolf magazine and I was like, oh, okay, so that's how they get that result. And it's probably about six months later, they finally got some of those washes into my local game store in Australia. And I was like, okay, I'm going to sort of take the plunge. I'm going to buy those two and see how they work. And I did were, it. Were you like, hooked immediately? I was like, this is amazing. It really, yeah. I, it, very yeah. much so. Very much so. Let me I, ask I, something though, Dave. Do you ever, I mean, this is a very stupid question, but I just want to ask, because I do know there are some people who do this. Do you ever put washes on at the end and just leave them? Or is it always wash somewhere in the middle of the process and then highlight over it? Typically, it's in the middle with a highlight over it. Uh, but it, again, it depends on the situation. Um, very rarely would I do something like a, uh, like paint a whole model, apply a wash to the entire model and then leave it. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, I've done that sort of thing before and then gone back and done some highlights and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Titch, well, what do you I, do? I, 
Well, I think I started um, with washes in the 80s, but they weren't washes as we know them today, was Windsor Newton Inks. Now, they had green, blue, red, yellow, chestnut brown. Uh, I still use their, I still use some of that today on certain models, especially in the smaller scales, because it is so thin. You water it just a slight bit, 15 millimeter, and you really pull out definition. And I think, you know, when you looked at the magazines, as Dave said, and you looked at people's work, you, you, it, it made it less complicated when you added a wash. So you, you started, you know, blocking and tackling with your miniature, and then you could tie it all together with a wash. I do not paint eyes anymore. I use washes, yeah, usually contrast, dark oak, uh, dark oak flesh or ghoulie man, or however you sell that, however you say that, ghoulie man flesh. And it, it draws everything out. Um, but I don't have the eyesight anymore to, to go in and do the eyes. And, you know, I do get beards and things picked out. But uh, I got a book a while ago, and uh, I kept thinking, why do my beards never look right? And uh, it was Painting War, one of the Painting War series. And they did black or brown, then gray, then the hair color, whether it be blonde or or red or, you know, I mean, we look at everybody here. They're, you know, (laughs) we're in our 50s. We all have gray in our beards. So a lot of my beards became grayer, you know, dark or 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 you know, with a base that allowed the the graying to pop. And that's something I only added a couple of years ago. And I, like I said, I've been at this for a long time and I, it was just something that never occurred to me. Um, you know, horses, the white on the feet or the dark on the feet or the multi, the, the mane and the tail having, you know, different color than the main body of the horse. And I bought a book on horses had nothing to do with painting. It was just every kind of horse in the world. And I, I just kind of thumbed through that and said, okay, that's what a bay is. That's what a gray is. That's what a chestnut is. That's what, you know, different, different looks painted horses for the wild west or the bane of my existence. Um, but I, I think you have to just use every resource available to you and every paint that's available to you, Liquitex, you know, and, and things from artists, oils in some respects. So, you just kind of build your arsenal as you go, but washes started for me with Windsor Newton inks back in 86, 87, they had yeah. a great green. You know, I was painting a lot of, of orcs and goblins and I, I couldn't get any definition in them. I tried layering and then I hit them with a, a green ink or a blue ink and all of a sudden, bam, everything popped, just let it run down. And then the washes came out from games workshops. And now you have, you know, speed paints, uh, contrast paints, uh, the new Vallejo, uh, what? Yeah. 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 The, the thin ones. So I, you know, if you're not a, uh, super astute painter, you can get some great effects very easily that just make give you more pride in your miniature and make a better aesthetic on the table. And I don't think there's anything you can't use as long as you're you're happy with the results and you have to sometimes look beyond what's at your friendly local gaming store, Dick Blick Art Supplies, um, Hobby Lobby, Michaels, you, you shop around uh, and you get these these various these various things. And I named off half a dozen paint companies and I, I probably have more than that. 
you know, and you need to know your, your medium. Corey likes big, chunky lead figures. So do I. I like the weight. Uh, you know, I like moving that mass. But if you're painting plastics, um, whether it be the new Vitrix 12 millimeter Flames of War, maybe you look for something from the plastic modeling companies like Tamaya. You know, that they have some phenomenal historically accurate colors and you can paint them right over the plastics without priming them and use, say, Dunkelgeld for your Germans. Paint the whole thing, ink it, pick out your camo, dry brush some highlights, and you've got a great looking model with four easy steps. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, and that applies also in some cases, you know, to, to other plastic models. But I, I think you have to you have to just get out there and look at what's available to you, whether it be Windsor Newton inks in 1986 or one of the eight different layers of, of inks, inking and thin wash paints that are available today. Corey, you are a big fan of washes, right? Yeah. I've almost always had a style uh, of, of a, of a wash painting style. I used to call it watercolor. So what I started with was I'd prime it white and just literally water down some paints and cover, you know, if it was a red coat, kind of do that. And um, I, I still basically do that. Uh, although now, you know, with the inks and kind of like Titch said, you know, a Windsor, I remember uh, doing a big uh, uh, goblin and just priming him white and, and just dose dunking him in green ink. And it turned out great. I mean, it took about three dunks, but, um, and then games workshop had some inks for a while and those they were did. great. Those were great, but 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 not as good as what we have now with contrast paints. So uh, now I kind of just use contrast paints. Uh, like a horse, I'll prime white or maybe a, a light brown and then, you know, um, hit it with the contrast paint and, and just run with it. So um, I, I've always kind of loved that look, right, of, uh, you know, I have not really a layered look, but more of a kind of washed look and then me go in and pick out some highlights. So that's been a standard with me for years. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. So here's a question. I mean, anybody can jump in. So um, here, why don't we do this? So if you're listening to this podcast right now, if you're listening to this uh, little chat that we're having, um, contrast paints kind of take the washing approach along with like your sort of base color and they kind of mix it almost, like mix it together. So instead of having to do multiple steps, you're kind of doing one. I personally have never used them before. Like I said, I've got a whole bunch. I've never opened them. Um, I don't know if anybody wants to jump in who's actually used them. How hard is it or easy is it to learn how to actually use them if you've been painting for a long time? And I don't know who wants to jump in or if multiple people want to jump in or not. See, do you want to? I'll, yeah, I'll take that in? one to start with. Yeah, go for it. Um, if you are priming in a light color, they're fantastic. Um you know, if you're doing Union, Corey paints a lot of Civil War, and I'm sure he'll mention this in a minute, but if you either slap chop or paint in a light color, you can get a great blue pant or a gray pant quickly with a lot of definition for something that's not as big a focal point of the miniature. I know that uh, on uh, TMP, the miniatures page, and in a couple of magazines, there's guys talking about the new Pike and Shot epic and the uh, Waterloo epic and the Civil War epic from Warlord Games, where they're using contrast paints. Now, the only challenge that I will say to contrast or the new Vallejo or speed paints is they are thin and they can get away from you. So use a little on your brush 
and just kind of let it flow up to the edges of the next layer of the miniature, whether it be a hip pouch down to the boot line, down to the, down to the, the line where the, you know, the, the pants are tied off from the stockings, uh, whatever it is, you just, you have to go easy unless you are taking uh, a fantasy figure and getting that overall look like a, you know, some sort of berserking red devil thing, you know, where you just want it all red and then pick out the highlights as, as Corey pointed. But that's the only thing I, I, I say to somebody who's starting with wash paints or making washes is, is start easy till you get a feel for it. And I would say that with almost any kind of painting, but especially with those, because if you're not careful and you do them after you've picked out highlights, it can wash up on the sides and then saying, you know, you're cleaning it up. Right. Uh, so that's, that's my take on, on using uh, those. And you can use them as layering too. You know, start with a base coat and hit them with, uh, with a contrast or a wash of some kind. Uh, I'll, I'll pass Dave? it off to Dave. Oh, sorry. Yeah. yeah Dave, I, where do you stand? Uh, so, yeah, I think, um, Teacher's actually absolutely right there. It's like you've got that a chance for them to run away on you. Uh, it's probably the the next thing I'd say as well is uh, with them. Make sure you work around the entire piece, uh, the entire element that you're painting um, fairly quickly. Because if you paint on a brush stroke and you let it sit, you'll get you might get some tide lines on the edges, but it will be tough to come back and blend that in with the next brushstroke or that sort of thing, which is, is something you don't have with standard sort of opaque acrylics. Um, so just be, just be cognizant, cognizant of that. No, that totally makes sense. Um, we've covered a ton of ground here. I have a kind of weird question, right? Just in terms of, cause again, I'm just looking at the time and thinking about, you know, how much, uh, how much, you know, time total we have for this episode do you guys ever use craft paints i mean like would any of you like ever kind of walk into a michael's and pick up a you know like a adult ceramic coat or something along those lines and use them and again yeah. i know this is again very controversial right because we're all we've all been doing this a while i don't know where we maybe Corey. we should start with yeah, you sir yeah 100 percent I'm going to use everything, anything and everything. Uh, I think craft paints have a place. I think terrain's a good starting spot. Um, I do use them on some figures. Um, but I think, you know, if you're going to, if you're producing earthworks or you're doing painting buildings, um, dry brushing, I think, uh, I mean, I go into Michael's Hobby Lobby uh, and, and I load up, right? It's probably several times a year. And I think they make just, <laughs> they, they they make a great way. And also they're, they're economical. I mean, if you're a beginner and, you know, you're, and you're just getting started, I think it's a great way to, um, when you compare maybe something you're buying at Hobby Lobby versus something you're buying at the, the Games Workshop store, it's a great way for beginners to get started. Um, so, I, absolutely. I, 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 have, I have no shame in my game, Jared. I will go in there and buy those <laughs> apple barrel colors and use them. So, hey, um, look, some of them are good. And again, like, I, I don't know if you guys have ever run into this. Look, I, like Titch, have lots of different paints from lots of different companies and look you know every so often you'll pop uh you know like a, a bottle of something again like i'm not putting anybody out there like in terms of companies or whatever this is not about like picking at anybody but 
I don't know, man. Sometimes like one red from one company kind of sucks, but a red from another company is great. And But then you could swap that depending on what the color is. And I have definitely found some craft paints where it's like, you know what? This is like five times less the cost of the really expensive paint I at a, that I bought at my store, like my local store or whatever, and it works better. So for me, and I I'm, I know I barely weighed in at all on this conversation. This is one thing I will weigh on. And I mean, sometimes that craft paint is actually kind of better than certain colors from other companies. So I'm kind of with you. Um, Titch, I'm almost afraid to ask, but then again, I have seen your painting table. So where do you see like, you know, more of like your, your craft type paints, you know, uh, where do you see that at your disposal for painting? I think you said it best. It, yeah. it depends on the color you're going for. And on my horses, I use craft paints almost exclusively as the base coat of the horse before I wash or, or pick out the detail because the pigment is thinner. That's why they're less expensive. You get volume for your money. Um, so if I put a autumn brown on and then hit it with one of the eight or nine different wash colors I have, I can do an autumn brown on on an entire paint stick of horses, four, six horses, all start with autumn brown. Then I hit them with different washes and I have six slightly different shades of horse, you know? Um, but to Corey's point, I don't know how Dave feels about this, but I think they are the best base covering for terrain. Mm. You know, with your, if you're dry, you know, if you use sand and glue and then you dry brush over the top, I'm not going to use two thin coats to dry brush my stones. I'm totally with you. I'm (laughs) going to use an inexpensive craft paint. Now, my only problem with the craft companies, especially Delta Ceramic Coat, I'm going to dig on them for a minute. Do it. I'll come out with a great color. They had a color called Mudstone. And the lady at uh, Hobby Lobby said, oh, they're getting rid of that color. I bought six bottles because (laughs) for dry brushing stones and and bases and and earthworks that's a great color you know they have a they have a red called compete red t-o-m-p-t-e uh it's it's a great base red for certain things um but again to your point jared pick a color you you find a gray you find a white you find a black you know when i've primed everything i thin down uh ceramic coat black and hit the little areas that have been, you know, kind of skipped by the paint or have a really weak uh, coating uh, to get me ready to go with my buildup of my standard colors, whether I'm using three layer or base layer or, or whatnot. Um, you know, Dave is a, a, a much a higher quality painter than I am with some of his fantastic models. So I'm really interested to see what he says about the craft paints or Liquitex or some of these other ones that aren't in our friendly local gaming store that are the core of what everyone's buying today. Yeah. And Dave, we don't want you to be polite here. We want you to tell the truth. <laughs> tell the truth, sir. I, How I do you feel about this? Do I will totally be polite as well as tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, don't use craft paints in my miniature painting. Uh, anymore. When I first started, like I was a I was a poor university student, uh, so my first white paint for acrylics was a like a white gouache. I was doing graphic design and a white gouache, and I just mixed that in with my other like 
I had maybe five or six paints that I was using when I first started painting. Um, I'm at the point now where I, I don't feel that I am have to stick with uh, the less expensive um, paints. But uh, so for my miniature painting, it's almost all exclusively paints that have been developed for painting miniatures. Uh, for painting terrain, uh, Liquitex, I use Liquitex a lot. Um, yeah, Liquitex is great. Dark Umber, Payne's Grey, uh, loads of fantastic colors in there. And one of the things typically with um, materials that we're using for terrain building, it, it soaks in, uh, it draws in the water. And uh, so it would suck up a lot of paint. So exactly, Pitch, as you're saying, like, you'd go through a bottle of the two thin coats in, in no time. Um, so and some of those colors, again, the miniature paints can be great for details or final highlights or final dry brushes, that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, very definitely crop paints for, for terrain. Without a doubt. I have one more painting question for all you guys. And I know that, um, well, Dave, you're the only wild card here because I don't know how many smaller scale figures you paint. I'm just sort of curious. Do you put more or less time, more or less detail into small scale figures as you do 28s? Because I can say this, right? I am definitely, of the four of us, I am at the bottom end of, um, I'm an above average painter, but like, I don't think I put as much time into my minis as you guys do. Mine, they still look good. Don't get me wrong, but like, you guys are all have more experience than I do. I think. Um, so this is my question, right? So, less or more time into the smaller figures, more or less time into bigger figures. Titch, I'll go to you first. What do you? What's your kind of stance on that? I I think that smaller figures just take less time. You know, you're not, you know, a strap across the chest is a third of a stroke where, uh, you know, in, in building up highlights on straps or on uh, ribbons or on piping or things like that, it's just not necessary Yeah, uh, on 15s or 10s or 6s. Um, I think you, you, you just, they just go faster because, you know, three layers on a 15 millimeter figure might not make a difference at at table table length whereas a 28 or you know a 32 like the big firelock games blood and plunder i think you're going to put more time into those you know if you're doing a big model from games workshop or or war machine or or uh what is it the uh uh i can't think of it now but you, you do a bigger model you've got a lot more to work with you know you've got a a pouch and maybe you want the highlight edge highlight the pouch and then you know you've got a piece of gun sticking out or you've got you know your 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 little pots full of full of powder in the pike and shot period and you you know you don't want every guy to be exactly brown so maybe you hit one with a salem green you hit one with a a light brown you hit it with a wash one you don't you are going to spend more time on a bigger model there is no time economy in painting bigger models there is time economy in painting smaller models and you don't need the detail you know i i mean 30 years ago when i painted small models uh horses i could see well enough to paint very uh elaborate tabards on a hundred years war horse 
Now, even with 28, I just do kind of blocks and colors to, to give it a look. And, and that's one of the things I like to say is, is it historical or is it Hollywood? And for me, Hollywood is good enough uh, in a lot of cases. Um, some are historically as accurate as I can figure out. But I think you go with Hollywood, and the smaller you get, the more Hollywood you get. No, that makes total sense, dude. That also makes me feel better about myself, to be honest. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it's kind don't, of a loaded a question. Person. I'm really talking about my own painting with this <laughs> question. But um, I, I don't want you other guys to feel left out, though. Corey, um, do you put more time into small figures or more time into the big figures? Into the big figures. I mean, you guys summed it up very well. I think it's all about scale, right, and scope. I think... You know, uh, I used to paint a lot of small figures. I've had two millimeter armies and, you know, six millimeter, 10 millimeter. Um, I had a friend that did some War Master figures. Remember that that game from Games Workshop? Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah. We know you love GW games, so. That was a great Uh, game, right? I mean, I think that gave birth to to Black Powder and Hail Caesar, basically. Yes, it uh, did. So, you know, he primed everything black and really only painted the fronts and backs because, you know, it looked great, though, from two, three feet away. Right. Um, you know, so I, I think the the larger, you know, the figure, the more detail. And I think where you really see that, though, I struggle. You give me a 54 millimeter figure, you know, an 80 millimeter. You know, so Titch and I next weekend are going to go to the uh, to a, a show here, Atlanta, you know, historical miniature figure society show. Anyway, it's, it's all these 54 plus figures. That's a whole different type of painting. Um I think most gamers struggle with that, um, you know, painting an 80 millimeter figure, especially the face. Right. And the, and the texture, the, the metals and, and the leathers and the feathers and the, um, you know, but the, the, the larger the figure, definitely the more the more time and the more detail. And I think the the art form, you know, changes a lot. Right. As you increase the scale. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, looking forward to that show, Jared, we'll send you some kind of a recap. But I'm going to challenge oh, I'm you. Sure. You've got some homework. I'm going to give you some homework. I want yeah, you. Sure zone use that contrast paint this week and i want you to post a picture or send us a picture of it okay so, whatever you paint it who does it this is an unbelievable i'm the host of the show Corey ring i am the host of the show you're giving me a challenge oh uh, you gotta re, you gotta repeat yourself so what am i doing you are going to just pick one figure and, and get out of your comfort zone and use those contrast paints and then i want you to post it okay and show you show know, off that you know, see, Corey, this is why in our little text thread, I consider you to be the sort of quiet terror of our little thing because I would have expected that from Titch, right? So look, this is the worst intro I've ever done for the show was this episode, which I blame Titch on. I would expect him to be putting me on the spot like this, you know, uh, and now you have. All right, so I, look, 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 look. I still love you. I will... I will even go downstairs right as soon as we're done and I will crack open these contrast paints. The funny thing is, though, they're pretty old. Like, I feel like I bought them a while ago and they just sit there and I just look at them. So, uh, challenge accepted. How do you feel about that, Corey? And the paints will be fine. Just shake them up a little bit. They'll be fine. (laughs) I see what you do, Jared. All right, we'll give it a shot. I don't even know what colors they are, but we'll 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 you know sort of give it a shot there. Now, look, I don't want Dave. I don't want you to feel left out. Um, but I also, I mean, remember, we know each other. I mean, we talk to each other at constant things like that. But I, I'm just not sure. Do you paint smaller scale figures, or do you typically only go for twenty eights or bigger? Uh, I I primarily paint twenty eights, twenty eight, yeah. thirty two, twenty five, anywhere in that sort of range. 
but I have painted a lot of uh, six mil uh, stuff tw- like nearly thirty years ago. Uh, I painted ten mil, fifteen mil. Uh, yeah. Thing. Um, my answer for this sort of I've been generating it through the other uh, sure kitchen. Corey were uh, giving their answers. Is um, at twenty eight mil one of the things that we regularly hear and have said a number of times myself is faces and bases. Yeah. Two things that catch people's attention are going to be a, a consistent basing scheme and the thing that as humans that we're, we're programmed to, to look at, we look at other people's faces. So we look at miniature um, miniature faces uh, a lot. That's a, the first thing. So regardless of whether you're painting at 28 mil or you're painting at 6 mil, uh, having the focus of the miniature, so maybe the, the focus of your effort, be on the face, the headgear, the shoulders, the upper part of the torso. That's where you, you put your effort in. So when I was, we were talking about boots, endless boots, 50 boots, 700 boots, doesn't really matter. Painting them black or painting them a dark brown or whatever. You can get away with just leaving it like that. Maybe doing a quick highlight, putting the effort into the face and the area around it. So when you're doing that, talking about that 6 mil or the 10 mil sort of size, don't worry so much about what's happening at the bottom of the pants or where sort of where the boots are ending, or whatever. Focus, keep that focus on on there. So, but everything that the Titch and Corey said, smaller miniatures, it's smaller surface area. You're going to spend less time. Yeah, um, I've in- always found painting faces to be probably one of the most difficult things to do. I don't. Again, I don't know about you, Dave, but that's me. Painting um, painting faces. It's a lot of that. Um, a lot of that can come down to the sculpt. Sometimes yeah. sculpts are uh, a bit intense. Uh, sometimes the sculpts are a bit soft or the casting might be a bit soft. Um, so I think typically most people have that, that struggle with um, adding the the details into a softly sculpted face. Yeah. Um, really, a lot of it's just about, about practice or just finding a Finding something that can work for you, putting down a base color, putting a wash over it, using things like Gulliman flesh or Darko flesh. Yeah. And, whatever on, it be. yeah. and on that note, I think what you just said there is really important. And this would be my piece of feedback to everybody listening because we're just about kind of getting to the wrap-up time here. And this has been a great episode. Um, such a wealth of information here for for somebody to pick up on, you know, in terms of, you know, painting your own miniatures. But finding something that works for you, right? Meaning if I were to paint exactly the same way as Titch or vice versa, or frankly, like you as well, Dave, like if I painted the same way as you, I think everybody needs to find what works for them, what paints work for you. And once you develop that system, don't get me wrong, it's like you can keep learning and you can add to that, you know, tool belt, so to speak. But ultimately, it's like anything else, like playing guitar, learning how to teach, learning how to make sales, making, you know, gaming mats, putting out books about painting. Like, you got to find what works for you and then you can always add to that later, you know? That's my sort of take on it. Um, So here's how I kind of wanted to end. And just to give you guys a little bit of time to think on it, um, what are you working on right now? Like, what are you building towards right now? And what paints are you using? Now, again, a huge question, right? For, For some of us, I mean, we use a ton of stuff. I'll start. I'm... 
just about getting to the point where I'm finished with my War of the Roses project to the point where I'm actually going to start running some games. So um, I really like Kings of War. Um, you know, it's the sort of, I don't know, I guess on some level, it's almost like those rules sort of had come out almost as a response to the fact that, you know, GW's sort of pushing fantasy battle had kind of died. I really like the rules. I really like them for two things, for kids. And two, I love them at cons because they're simple, straightforward. You can have a beer while you're playing. And what I'm working towards in terms of painting those minis, I'm doing it in 15 millimeter. Um, what I'm working towards is I'm going to uh, run some stuff over the summer with these rules and with these figures. I'm probably going to expand it to be more of a fantasy thing where all my War of the Roses humans are going to fight like orcs and goblins and stuff like that. In terms of favorite paints, I really do like Citadel paints, Games Workshop paints. I, you know, uh, again, sort of gun to my head, uh, those paints along with some Vallejo paints, uh, those are usually sort of my go-tos. And I do use some craft paints here and there. But again, gun to my head, I really do like Citadel paints quite a lot. Um so that's kind of what I've been doing with my time. I'm like I said, I'm almost done with that project. You know, we're kind of getting to the kind of getting to the end there. Corey, some favorite paints, and what are you working on? Yeah, current project. So Titch and I, um, every year we like to have a project, um, and and you know they can. So we've done War of the Roses, we've done World War One, we've done Battle of the Boy. Well, this year is uh, Thirty Years War, so twenty eight millimeter Thirty Years War. So. Just painting, collecting. Actually, I've got a unit, a horse on the table right now. Um, you know, that they're, they're about to be primed. Um, I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of going back to um, Might and Reason. So, got a few 15 millimeter, Seven Years War. I don't do a lot of 15 millimeter anymore. Probably will never do any new 15 millimeter periods, but just I'll backfill some of the ones I currently have. Um, and then, you know, Kings of War is great. I, I love Kings of War. And, um, been thinking about actually doing, um, kind of taking some retro figures, the old Ralph Partha. So Tom Meyer, great sculptor from the eighties, um, you know, really kind of set the bar very high there and, uh, doing some Ralph Partha elves. So doing like an elven army for Kings of War, um, but not so much rank and file, like doing the diorama on the base. Right. So, you know, the, the figures would look different, right. Um, you know, you have camps and, just really kind of having a lot of fun. That's one thing I think that's great with Kings of War is you that the you know you can really have. It's not about the figure count so much. It's more about the the frontage and um, you know you, the bases can be kind of dioramas. As far as paints, uh, Games Workshop, you know, uh, always look for an excuse to stop in the Games Workshop store, pick up some, especially the contrast paints. I, I think they're the best out there, my opinion. Um, but Vallejo and also a few craft paints, especially for terrain. Um, you know, or, and so that's kind of, uh, those would be my go-tos. So Corey, uh, are you enough of a games workshop junkie that you go to their actual store? Is that true? Well, yes. So here's the thing. Part of my job entails driving around parts of Atlanta and one of the right. locations that I go to, I can walk to a games workshop store. Right. So, um, it, so I can be working and literally in two minutes I can be in a games workshop store. So, right. um, uh, it, it's kind of nice to be able to pop in and uh, just buy some paint. But I also support the independents. We've got a lot, like uh, Level Up Games here and Gigabytes in Atlanta. I'm, I'm happy to support them as well. Um, and then, you know, where I get the Vallejo and the craft paints would probably be like Hobby Lobby or Michaels. They they usually will have right. a decent there. Um, and that's kind of my go-to. And then Titch every once in a while will, 
you know, turn me on to some kind of new, you know, uh, like we have a Gundam play store here in Atlanta. All they sell are large Gundams, but they have a lot of great stuff for plastics. Like Titch was talking about a lot of great glues, a lot of great paints just. And so, I mean, I, I would say if anything out of this whole episode is just use all your resources and, and, and think outside the box, right? Um, it's not about just being able to go into your local hobby store and buy paints, but you use craft stores, use artist paints, use, um, you know, look at look at the modeling stores, right? You know, like the Gundam places or um, these stores that sell more of the old old fashioned, you know, just just models, H H, you know, um, H O models. So, use all your resources, right? Um, but that that's what I'm up to, and those are the paints that are currently on my painting table. Very cool, very cool. And by the way, how's business, man? How are the uh, how, how's it going with the mats? Really quick before we get to touch. Yeah, mats are going good. It's a great hobby business. You know, that's that's uh, it's not my career, right? Just like you, it's a hobby thing, and yeah. Uh, everybody's always interested in mats and we actually have, we'll have some new mats coming out soon. We, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Look, let's so look for some new designs out there. By the way, I can't believe I'm doing this because again, like Titch's wife is going to be so mad at me because I think she feels like I portray him negatively on the show, but I'm going to, I'm going to come at you for a second, Corey ring. What is it going to take you to come to Historicon this summer? How can you be like one of the most prolific, the guy when it comes to putting, you know, gaming mats out, but you're, you, you, you haven't made it to a Historicon. Can you please answer that question? If I'm going to be posting pictures of my painted figures, I need you to answer me that question. What's it going to take to get you to come? I don't know, Jared. Uh, well, we'll see. I titch are probably strong. I'll probably be abducted. That's kind of what it's going to pull up in front of my house and titch is going to jump out uh, and blindfold me and throw me in the back of a van. Um, it usually just conflicts with my work schedule a lot um, or family vacations. But I'll see uh, Doug Klein, Battlefield Train Concepts, great guy. He usually sells our mats there. So we, we, you know, Cigar Box is present. I'm just not present. Um, yeah, but that's the point of what I'm trying to say is you should be present because, uh, again, like, because of this show, I feel like I've met so many different people. There's going to be a big hang at Historicon this summer. Even Titch White is going to get out of his lacrosse duties, supposedly, to make it. Like, look, here, let's, let's just focus on this, right? Don't you want to smoke cigars with the blood and plunder guys because they're wild human beings? Don't Absolutely. you want to be there for that? Absolutely. Well, let me talk to Titch. Maybe we can uh, we'll, All right. we'll just caravan up there. All right. All right. I'm gonna, I'm, you're off the hook now. That's it. All right. I'm going to leave it at that. And to be more serious for a second, Corey, that was a great answer. Um, Titch, what are you working on? And I know you're going to give me a really long answer. But well, I, I want you to pick. I want you to pick the paint, your go-to, my friend. I guess I would say my go-to right now for a variety of color, uh, consistency in quality is Vallejo. Yeah. But I've found AK Interactive Paints another Spanish company. Um, they're fantastic, um, but two thin coats. But what I do is I tend to buy based on my need. So I'm doing 30 years war. That's Corey and I, we've talked about it on a couple episodes. That's my big project. So buff coats, I probably have eight different colors that will work for buff. Some get washed, some do not. Um, so that, you know, when my troops are there, they're uniform to a point, but they also have some individuality throughout the unit. Um, but I found a paint. I, I'm going to give these guys a shout out. Scale 75, great paint company. I found them at the Atlanta Toy Soldier Show last year. 
that Corey and I are going to the the model the model show, and they have a they have a paint that I couldn't live without. It's called black metal, and I I would have never thought one I didn't know the company, and two I never would have thought of that color, but it's absolutely fantastic for black and metal during the Thirty Years War period. So. You know, I find a color, I get behind it, I find a brand, I get behind it, I get two, three, four colors with what I need. Blues right now are heavy with the Swedes, a lot of blue, a lot of blue and yellow. So, you know, I just, I keep picking different things up. There's a golden yellow from AK that I, I it's a color I, I don't think will ever be out of my arsenal again. And uh, I'm headed to California a week from Monday and I get in six hours ahead of my boss. So guess who's going to Brookhurst Hobbies to loot? Oh, I love their, that place. <laughs> I'm going to loot their paint uh, display uh, again. Um, and I don't know what I'll find. And I don't know what I'll find at the Toy Soldier Show next uh, next Saturday morning with Corey. So you got to use your resources. You got to constantly be on the lookout. Maybe you just try one color from a new company, or you buy a six pack starter set, or or whatever. Um, I don't have, I, I guess Vallejo is my go-to for color variety and consistency, but I use a lot of contrast. And so I have 30 years war on the table and I augment it every week with a unit of something else or a piece of terrain or, or barrels, gabions, something to just keep that momentum. You know, you've got to keep your momentum and paint on a regular basis, whether it be, I don't want to do it today because it's 700 boots. Just go knock them out because then you get to do the fun part of the figure and then you get to shellac them, base them, and get them on the table. So I'd like I'd like to hear what Dave uses. I mean, he he paints some fantastic models. I actually got his website open now while we're talking, um, looking at some of the work he has. I, I'm really interested to hear what he has to say about paints. Yeah, go for it, Dave. And your uh, current projects too. Sure thing. Um, current projects. Uh, so I have a, um, a YouTube live stream that I do with a buddy of mine, uh, Jake Krajewski. Uh, and as part of that, we're doing a like tale for gamers kind of thing. Uh, so we have two other guests, um, two buddies of mine, uh, Jeff Smith, uh, who works for Battlefront and John Schaefer, who is currently the sort of game design manager for WizKids. Uh, but we're all working on building um, armies for Warhammer 40,000. I'm doing a Space Marine army, uh, which is based as my own custom chapter of Space Marines, um, inspired by a trip I took to Iceland last year. So there was the, the colors that I saw in Iceland, uh, loads of grays and deep sea greens and blues and that kind of thing, contrasted with white and black. Um, so a great sort of Deal. So I'm working on that, um, painting loads and loads of models over a six-month period uh, with the guys. And for that, I'm primarily using uh, Proacryl paints, uh, which are out of um, Arizona, uh, and the Army Painter out of uh, Denmark. So that's almost exclusive. There are a few things where I've still got some um, Vallejo paints um, that are sort of my standards. Uh, that I'll put in there. But uh, to kind of harken back to uh, a couple of things that uh, Corey and Titch said, and also something you were talking about earlier, being worried about using the, the contrast paints, um, a piece of advice that I like to give to people about painting is if you build up a 
a way that you paint red or a way that you paint blues or a way that you paint greens or browns, whatever it happens to be, that's cool. Have those those recipes that you use on a regular basis. Uh, if you want to try and experiment with something, just switch out one of those things. Like try and experiment with one new thing so that everything else is incredibly familiar and you can you know what you're gonna what your end result is gonna be for those things. Totally. And there's that just that one experiment thing. The thing that can send people off on a spin is if they switch up all of their stuff at the same time. It's like there can be very um I guess uh disturbing or uh confusing um and can lead to disappointment rather yeah. than lead What's to learning. Yeah. Really funny about that comment and like literally probably the perfect way to end this episode, right? So again, like I'm gonna ask you guys a question in a second, but um it's like teaching. It's like kid struggles on a test. That's literally what I what I basically say to them. It's like don't change your whole study method up. Just pick one or two little things in the process you're using to kind of get ready for an assessment. Find the thing where you're having the most difficulty with, fix that. But the other parts that are working or the other parts that have been working for you for a really long time, keep those in place. So it's like a perfect way to kind of end this uh, end this episode. Um, this was so much fun. All right, so l- just be honest though. So for our audience out there, I'm going to say this right now, right? So there is a chance that you did not hear the worst intro in the history of this show. There's a chance you might not hear it. So Titch, do I go and re-record that horrific introduction. I need to I need to know. No, you blame it on a Sunday morning beer. <laughs> I, I, I think that listeners, you know, I hope I hope they take something away from what we said because well, there's they a wealth of knowledge and, and years of, of practical experience here. Um it would be nice uh to do it as a live stream and show off some painting and some things like that. Maybe we'll we get that opportunity in the future. Yeah. Um but I want to say one thing about what Dave just said. He yeah, said, go for what's it. your recipe? Now, I'm big on five by seven note cards. And if I'm painting something, I will write down the paints I used for a unit to achieve the color. Bavarians, Bavarian blue, kill me, please. But when I painted a unit of Bavarians out of six, I painted one and then I went to something else in my Malburian period. I wrote down the colors that I used on a on a five by seven card and set it off in a container so that when I go back again, I know I use X blue, X wash, X highlight, X final, so that it's not eight different blues out there to get one nationality that was supposed to be fairly consistent. So I think Dave brought up a great point of your recipe. Write it down. Take that extra five minutes or two minutes and just say, okay, my final highlight was dark vermilion or my final highlight was gulamine flesh on, you know, over, over uh, two colors of, of skin. Um, just, just take a minute and, and you'll, you live and learn. But I really hope that everybody who's listening gets inspired and gets out there and tries one of these techniques or, or just embraces the breadth of, stuff available to them and tries it you know try new things experiment and grow as a painter and as a hobbyist and hopefully get the chance 
see you across the table, roll some dice and, and taunt you a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, this is great. So, Corey, I'm going to start with you really fast. So, somebody wants to buy a map from you. Uh, how should they find you? Easiest way is um, probably check out our social media, Facebook, Twitter, okay. Instagram, and that all leads you to basically a web store. But if you have, if they, you know, message me, um, I'm available, you know, um, almost 24 seven, right? You know, if you have a question or, you know, I actually, I had a couple of people message me during this podcast wanting to know, Hey, we're working on, you know, this, or we're working on that. Do you have a map that'll work? Uh, you know, um, so uh, I'd say start with social media and, um, and that'll, that'll guide you to the right spot. Just like Tish said, it's all about having fun. I think it's all about, as far as pain, it's just about uh, trying to, I mean, it's a very enjoyable part of the hobby, um, you know, and it's about, I think, just trying to enjoy it, but also get just a little bit better, you know, maybe every month, every year as you progress, um, you know, no one ever start, don't, don't be discouraged, right? You know, if you're a beginner, um, you know, I, I should post my first figures that I painted just awful, right? Just horrible. But you'll get better um, over time. There's a lot of great techniques out there. And, I, and like I said, I think YouTube's your friend. I think, you know, I don't like to talk about Games Workshop too much, but they're just a great example of a company that has so many resources. I mean, they've got apps that'll tell you what colors to use, right, for different figures and things like that and what paint. So, very highly organized, a lot of great resources there, um, or just walk into your local hobby store and start asking questions, right? And um, that's a great place to start. So have fun, you know, get a little bit better, um, try some new techniques, you know, and I think what Dave talked about, just, made, you know, just limit the damage, right? I do that, I, you know, I'm not going to change five things, right? But I might change one thing, one way that I do, usually with metallics or non-metallic metal or some, some kind of new technique I'm working on. Um, I'm just going to change that one aspect of it. But, uh, you know, great time today on the cast. Jared, thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk to you, Dave. Great talk to you, Titch. Uh, you know, just a, a great time today talking about miniatures. I could talk about miniatures all day. You know, no, I know. We all, <laughs> I think we all can. <laughs> we all can. And Dave, um, you're going to be the final word here. So, um, again, you know, somebody wants some tips on painting. Somebody wants to check out all the amazing publications that you put out. Um, in a non-creepy way, how should somebody find you online? Sure, probably again through social media, um, uh, Facebook or Instagram. Look for Dave Taylor Miniatures, um, and just message, message me, message me through there. Awesome, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. So, all right, so for for everybody li listening out there, thank you so much for uh, for tuning in. Um, just a, just one sort of point on my end, really fast. Remember, um, if you have interest in kind of becoming part of the team, so to speak, and you have had a chance or, you know, whether you know about this or not, we do have a Patreon page, right? So if you go to patreon.com slash 20-sided gamified podcast LLC, what you will basically find is our, our uh, Patreon page. You can basically get some episodes for free. You could also sign up for a measly $8 a month and essentially what that will give you is a access to the most profane episodes that we sort of put out where it's usually Kelly and I or somebody else and I that's really close to the show taking fan questions, taking um, questions just about us like on a somewhat of a personal level or asking us to dig a little deep, deeper on certain topics or this or that. Uh, remember, don't get me wrong, I have a job, a good one, but... 
you know, this show is not free. Uh, it costs money to to put these episodes out there. And I will say this. I am happy to say this, and I believe this. Um, we are the most comprehensive gaming podcast out there. Whatever it is that you enjoy, there's probably an episode for you. And that's not free. So uh, if you're willing to sort of dive into the team, so to speak, uh, like I said, it's patreon.com slash 20-sided gamified podcast LLC. I just want to thank everybody again for listening and to all of our guests. This was really fun. Like one of the most fun times I've had in in recent memory with this show. And we only picked on Corey a little bit. Maybe next time we'll pick on him a little bit more. So we'll see. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided gamified podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore nextgen underscore inc. Until next time, be well, get some gaming in, and roll some 20s. Thank you so much.